Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the debut of a pen and a napkin podcast, the very first one, the inaugural voyage of a pen and a napkin. My name is Marty Plum, and I am so excited to have everybody listening here this evening, this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're going to listen to it. Truly excited to have uh, our guest on this evening. We're taping this on a Thursday night. Uh, my good friend Kelly Flynn, old friend from South Sioux City High School and now out of retirement at Fremont High School here in Nebraska. Uh, before we get going, we got a couple house, cle- uh, house cleaning things we got to take care of. First of all, we want to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Cossack Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive, which is just off of 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Dr. Kevin and Dr. Heidi are there for all of your chiropractic needs, and they are the absolute best. I've been going to them for almost 15 years, and they have always treated me like royalty. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see Cossack Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at CossackChiro.com, or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. And be sure that you tell them that you heard about Cossack Chiropractic from a pen and a napkin. We'd also like for you to follow us on Twitter. Uh, a pen and a napkin is the search. We have we try to have daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin, so please be sure to follow us there. Kelly, are you a Twitter guy? Are you on Twitter? Yes, I, I am. I'm not a real big uh, Twitter guru, but I, I do get on. All right. Well, I expect to follow after this when you get off All the right. phone. All I right. Will do that. All right. Also, please be sure to go on your Spotify or iTunes account, download the podcast, and rate it five stars so that we can start to get the word out to gain momentum and ratings so that we can help as many coaches build and educate themselves on their craft as we possibly can. Also, if you would like to email us at the pod, please do so at a pen and a napkin. That's all one word, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions or questions you would like to have answered on the pod, please don't hesitate to reach out to us and we'll do our best to address it in future pods. Folks, this is our maiden voyage. Like I said, this is the very first one. What is the purpose of this podcast? Well, very simply, we want to help coaches become better coaches. And how do we do that? We give you the opportunity to listen to great coaches, talk about their craft, talk about the things that they've done with their programs. And we couldn't have anybody better Uh, to have on our very first podcast, then the legend himself, Kelly Flynn, out of Dakota County, and now is Fremont, is that Fremont County? Dodge County. uh, Which one is it? Dodge County. Dodge County. Dodge County, Nebraska. Uh, But no, Kelly, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. When I kind of hatched this, uh, I, I knew I wanted you to be one of my first guests. It just so happens that you're be, you're the very first one. So thanks so much for coming on, Kelly. Well, I appreciate this uh, opportunity, and uh, I think that's one of the neat things about the coaching fraternity is that everybody is always willing to help each other out. I know anybody that ever reaches out to me, I try to do anything I can to help them, and I know I've had a lot of coaches over the years that have uh, really bent over backwards and, and, and helped us out, and uh, right now, that's kind of the neat thing about the college recruiting, is when they uh, do come, I always ask about a drill or a, or a play, and, and even though they're there to watch one of our players, I always try to get something out of them as well, and I think coaches are, are really happy to, to share. Yeah, 
Well, awesome. Well, you've had a great career, Kelly. Uh, over 500 wins, a um, little over 100 losses. I've got a, I've got a few of those. You got more wins on me than I have on you, but I got a few on you there. Uh, seven, uh, you know, a remarkable. I mean, Kelly, you know, in in all seriousness, a remarkable uh, resume that you've been able to put together over your career. 17 state tournaments, um, 11 state championships, including 10 in 11 years. Uh, one runner-up in 1999. Uh, a bunch of outstanding players. Uh, you've just had a you just had a great career, um, you know. And uh, I'm just so excited to have you here. Um, let's just get going here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself for those people that don't know who you are. Uh, you know where you grew up. Um, you know how'd you get into coaching, um, so forth and so on. Well, I did. I grew up in uh, Parker, South Dakota, and. Uh, had a brother that went off to go coach and uh, actually go to college to coach when I was a fourth grader and uh, it was my brother Ron I really looked up to him and he uh, became a real successful coach I always followed his his uh, leads and uh, he started out at Lenox South Dakota and uh, that's where I met my wife uh, she played for my brother and uh, Barb did and and then he went on to Wakanda he won several state championships and 101 games and Still my idol, and I still uh, call him for advice. He came to a few of our games last year and would always take a bunch of notes and, and tell me what I'm doing wrong and uh, what we could do. But yeah. but he's just a great brother, and I did look up to him and and then went on to University of South Dakota and then student taught at South Sioux City and got the uh, opportunity to teach and coach there and, and really got to work with some, some good coaches. Joe Curl, who went on to the University of Houston. I was assistant with him with the boys at one time, and Ed Welch and I was his assistant, and then he became a, a long-time assistant for me with the girls, but I was under him with the boys to start with, and and so spent a lot of, a lot of years, um, and like you mentioned there, Marty, with some of the different games, I mean, some of those years, we would play you guys at Omaha Scott three, four times during the season yeah. with, the, with yeah. the RCC regular season, and then the conference tournament, and then the districts, and then with the wild card, we'd meet again in the state, so... It was some good good rivalries back then and just a lot of great memories at South Sioux City. And uh, we really had a fun year at Fremont this last year, and, and I really think we could have made some noise down the down the stretch at uh, Sid, uh, not toward ACL. Um, and we got beat by one in the district final, but uh, I think she's going to be back healthy this year, and I know we've got some other girls that are back that are really, really hungry and excited, and uh, college coaches are interested in them already, even though some of them are sophomores and and so it should be a fun year. Good, good. Um, so let's go back, you know, to climb back in the DeLorean and fire up the flex capacitor to 1.21 gigawatts and, you know, uh, go uh, go back in time here a little bit. You you know, you, you built this great program, and, and you'll be the first one to admit, and I know you've said this, you know, it wasn't just you. I mean, Ed had a huge part in it. Russ, Russ Fuscher had a, a big part in it and everything. Um, but, but what do you think were kind of two or three big keys, uh, that you guys were able to put together that, that helped build the program to, to what it became? Well, we always did talk about, uh, one was, uh, the feeder program, uh, because we really did have a lot of younger, um, or feeder program coaches, some of our fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade coaches that, that bought into our system. I think we had a, a really good system with, uh, the, the, the full court pressure and then getting out and running with every opportunity to try to run the break. Uh, I remember when we first started, we had talked to the younger coaches, uh, the younger programs, and uh, they really didn't want to run quite as much because you turn the ball over more. 
but we really convince them that that you maybe turn it over a little bit, but you also have a lot more opportunities. It's a lot more fun for the kids. It's a lot more fun to watch, and it'll be a lot more easy, a lot easier for us when they get up to the high school if they've been playing that style. Mm-hmm. And so I think that uh, that really helped. Uh, then, like you mentioned, Ed Wilson and Russ Busher, I think having some longevity with assistant coaches that really helped where everybody's on the same page. And then we had just some really, really good athletes that, that came through. And I think sometimes once you start having some success, the others know that they have to work hard to, to get to that level. And we've always said that if, if you can get your best players to, to be your hardest workers, you know, that that's, that's a big, big plus. And, and we had that a lot at South Sioux city where the, the best players were our hardest workers and were great leaders. And and that's what we're really trying to get at Fremont now. Yeah. You, you mentioned the, the style that you played. And, and really, you know, you guys were really ahead of your time with the way that you just went out and, and attacked the basketball full court or, or half court. And, and, you know, you were fortunate enough to, to have teams that were 8, 9, 10 deep at times with – eight, nine, 10 really good athletes. And, uh, some of them were world-class studs. I mean, you know, with, with like, uh, I, you know, the Oliver girl and, and Candace Blackbird and, 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 uh, Trish, Trish Martin and Charlie Rogers. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, but you, the, you know, you, you also, you know, probably had a, had a time where you, you kind of felt like, uh, you know, did you feel like you kind of had to play that way? at times, you know, as, as the success came, you know, or, or did you feel comfortable with, cause I know, you know, uh, later on you started playing a little bit more zone, started being a little bit more conservative. Um, you know, you know, it's kind of, a, kind of explain that type of, of, of thing, you know, if that question makes any sense. Yeah. Well, we really did try to have, uh, kids adjust to, to that style. And I, I think a good example would be like a Jane, Borky, now it's Jane Creever, who happens to get, get or happens to be one of our assistants at Fremont, which is great to have her. Oh, on. really? I didn't know yeah, that. She's, oh. Yeah, she's one okay. of our assistants, and so she was a six three, six four post player that a lot of teams probably would have maybe slowed it up and really worked it into her. But we really tried to get her to to run the floor and uh, and play our style, and I think it really helped her for the. She went on to Iowa State and then to Drake. I think it really helped her game. Um, but it was a deal where that was an adjustment. We had a few other post players like that, that, that some teams probably would have slowed it up and just worked it into the post where mm-hmm. we tried to get our post. And that was one of the things, again, speaking with, uh, the feeder programs is it used to frustrate me when, when one of those coaches would say, you know, get it to a guard, you know, and they'd get a rebound and they didn't want them to, and we convinced them that we want them to, to be able to dribble. We mm-hmm. don't want them to. To, to get a rebound and, and, and look around. We wanted to transition. So when they got a rebound, and almost all of our post players, if you remember back in the day, they yeah. would they'd get a rebound and, and, the, and the transition go. would go. Yeah. And uh, they maybe didn't bring it all the way down, but we had several that could go coast to coast and, and finish with a layup at the other end. And a lot of times it really got our break started a lot quicker than having to try to find that outlet. Yeah. And, and so I, I think there were a few times where where we did uh, we did have some some years where we couldn't just full court press all the time, and uh, and Coach Wilchin was a master in the the defense, and and he would do some different things to uh, 
to try to help us and we'd try to go with different groups to yeah. run this thing for instance or or we'd put in a, a different group that maybe didn't start but they were going to be our, our full court trapping defensive team when we did have that lineup in and uh and, and, and then I, I can remember one year where, where we started out with, with our five best players we, we felt at the time, but we couldn't full-court press with them because uh, they just weren't quite as quick. Yeah. And uh, we'd bring in a couple others that were quicker, and then we would slap on the press, and uh, we end up switching that around and then starting them because we did want to start out with the press right off the bat. and. And so we did make some adjustments over the years, but we usually tried to play our same style. Mm -hmm. You're talking a little bit about your feeder coaches. I think this is a a great scenario for for coaches listening and trying to build their program. Um, Did you ever have any issues with um, coaches that disagreed and and not necessarily disagreed, but just kind of said, well, that's not the way I want to do it, you know, And, and how did you handle those situations? Yeah, I think there's always going to be some of those different different situations. Um, there's different philosophies a lot of times. Uh, I can remember different times where some of our kids played like in a Salvation Army League or, you know, just some of the different leagues that, and you'll see that now they're starting at a much earlier age and they'll have different rules in that uh, they maybe can't steal the ball or uh-huh. if the ball's in front of you, they just have different restrictions, which we tried to go with our own play where where we wanted to play it as as regular a basketball as, as it can be, and uh, and and that's not always the case, especially now that they're starting earlier. I can remember when we first started uh, basketball was was introduced in seventh and eighth grade for the girls, yeah. and uh, and then and then they went with. Uh, fifth and sixth grade boys and then we got to get the girls started at fifth and sixth and then they went with the third and fourth grade boys and I remember uh, they didn't want to start that that young with the girls and I said but they said well fifth and sixth grade you know they're even struggling and they're not scoring that high and uh, I said but even if uh, that's because that's when they're very first getting introduced to it if we start in third and fourth grade you're going to see a lot better fifth and sixth grade players yeah. and, uh, and we put in some different our own little restrictions at that time like if they hit the rim it was a point and uh, oh, it was about a, two, about a year or two later they didn't want that rule anymore because kids now knew that they're going to get to play in third grade and we're starting even a little bit earlier and then when they got to third grade they didn't want a point for hitting the rim they really get the rebound and, and the put back and and so we you know but sometimes i think you do make some adjustments and uh and there's nothing wrong with that but uh, you kind of got to do it is best for your for your programs and and now I know they're starting even a lot earlier than that than the third and fourth grade with organized basketball. Yeah, I, I think my son he's a junior, and I'm pretty sure like his first like Y League game I think he was probably three. You know, I mean yeah. they, they just get younger and younger and younger. You know, <laughs> I was gonna say I got a granddaughter that's three, and uh, I know they said that she's gonna be starting, and my wife's pretty excited about starting to work with her. So <laughs> I know I know it is starting a lot earlier. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, and, and and you hope that that not only makes them better, but maybe gets uh, more interest. But that's not always the case. Sometimes I think uh, kids when they get started at a real early age, sometimes you see that where. By the time they get to fifth or sixth grade, they maybe have been either discouraged because they didn't make a team or, or didn't get to play as much as they wanted, or mm-hmm. they've maybe had some success and got those medals and trophies. And so it is a it's a fine line of what's uh, 
what's too early, what's too much, what's not enough. And I know that's not helping any of the listeners out there because it's not a real answer. And I don't know if there really is a, a real answer for those questions. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it just depends on the individual, you know. But right. I think I think what makes it difficult, you know, um, your kids are going through it. I know my wife and I went through it, you know somebody else is doing it should we be doing that you know um they're they're playing in this league or they're you know they're on this type of team or the parents are investing this amount of money in their kids playing you know whether it's instruction trainer team travel you know that type of stuff and and it's hard and it also uh puts you in a tough situation as a varsity coach because there's more chefs in the kitchen than there ever has been before, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, there's a few of them out there that, that know pretty much everything. And I think if there is any parents that are listening to this, I think sometimes, too, I think we we might have the a different opinion with, with different kids in our family. I, I know I had a, a couple daughters that, that won when we went into the gym. She wanted to get right in there and play against the boys. And I had another one that really would rather take her doll and go off to the side and 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 you'd see her teaching over there uh-huh. uh, to her doll and, and she's a teacher now but but by the time she got to high school she did want to play and 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 she ended up being a good player for us too but it was a deal where it wasn't like in second and third grade where she was ready to jump in and and play against yeah. the, the older kids or the guys if she had a chance to yeah Yep, and that's the same family that that those things can happen. And I hear others talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I think we've got a you've, you've got different kids that develop at different stages, and that's where it bothers me sometimes when somebody says that so and so is you know maybe not going to play next year. But uh, I think there's there's a lot of them that develop at different stages, and and that they if they really do want to play and then they want to put in some time, I think there's an opportunity for a lot of kids out there. Yep. Um, when did you know it was getting to be a big deal? At Tulsa City? Yeah, yeah. When, 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 there had to probably be a point where you were like, you know, we're building something pretty special here. Yeah, I think, uh, probably that, uh, first year, probably in, in 94, when we did, uh, get to the state semis, uh, EWs the first round and, and then played Southeast and, uh, the semis and um, did get beat, but uh, we knew that we had the bulk of our scoring back, and and uh, it was really starting to to turn the corner. And then getting to win the state championship that next year, uh, I think it really really took off. And uh, I think when we graduated that whole group, you mentioned a few of them with the Trish Martin and Charlie Rogers that, um, that Kelly Everett consulted that hit the buzzer beater against Lincoln Pius. Uh, you know, it was just a deal where. I think people thought it was going to be over then, but then to come back with April Sailors, uh, the only returning starter, and then to get an opportunity to win that that next year with some young players, and then knowing that they could win it again, I think that's when it really kind of started taking off. And then the lower level grades, you know, when they came up, they really wanted to be part of that. And I think it's hard to win that first one, but I think after you win that first one, I think that expectation is there. And, uh, and I think it, I think it can maybe be easier after that first one, actually. Yeah, because you know the first one. I mean, if it's if it's a video game, you know, you probably beat that pious team by fifteen, twenty points. 
but they played great. You guys played well. It wasn't like you played poorly. I mean, the game was in the 60s for both teams, so it wasn't like it was a you know, a poorly played basketball game. It was a well-played basketball game, but I'm sure there probably had to be some pressure um, that first time around. Like you said, you'd, you'd been to the Class A semifinals before with the bulk of your team coming back, and then, you know, playing Pius with a big crowd down there at the Devaney Center, and then, like you said, you know, Kim hits the three to win it for you at the buzzer, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, and, that, and, and you look back at a lot of those. I, I use the example a lot of times with the state tournaments that there has to be a little bit of luck. You have to be peaking at the right time. I and mean, just a lot of things that have to fall in line. And I use the, uh, the April Sailors one quite a bit because she started for us for 101 games back in the day and played on some state championships and never – I don't even know if she ever missed a practice. And then all of a sudden in the All-Star game that year uh, and her, after her senior year – breaks her wrist in that first half you know and i said if that had happened one of those years uh, might not have won it yeah and i i look back at this year with with sid uh Galladay going down with a acl I, I really do think if she stays in i mentioned that earlier that we maybe make it state and, and maybe win a game and that's something that we haven't had an opportunity at fremont to win a state state tournament game and yeah. that was what i was really hoping i i didn't know if we'd have enough to win it this year, but I really was hoping that we could get to the state tournament get your and, uh, and, and, and win a game. Yeah. And, then, uh, and I would have felt even more confident going into this season now if we could have done that. Um, we're now going to be getting to the state tournament and hopefully win a game, and, and, and then you never know what's going to happen if you can, if you can accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you obviously have the success that you had in the postseason – uh, obviously, you have talented players, but though, you know you talked about peaking at the right time. What are some things that you guys did to to try to get your your teams ready to go at that that peak time? You know, uh, mid to late February, and really get it ramped up. Well, I think there's a lot of it is is not getting too worked up if you do stumble during the season. Uh, I think a lot of times, obviously, you want to have goals as a coach. You want to have goals as a team. You want to have buy-in. Um, but we very seldom ever had a goal to actually go undefeated. You know, we had always we always felt the conference was really important. We felt the conference tournament was important, obviously, district and state. And I remember a few times when we did lose a game, and we were obviously disappointed. But I remember one of us coaches would point out that, nothing's changed with our goals you know that that we use this as a learning experience and while it's a setback we learn and grow from it and we become better because of this loss and i think they bought into that i know we did buy into it and i think it did help us down the stretch um i think right now uh, we had the same thing at salsa city where we had played in the nike tournament we played in a lot of big tournaments and uh over christmas and now we're doing the same thing here at Fremont where we play in the uh, Nike tournament in Arizona. And so I think there's also that fine line of what is the peak time? Because those games might be as tough, if not tougher, than your state tournament. Um, and I don't want to ever say anything's not quite as important, but I think you would remember a, a state championship uh, the most. And yeah. uh, so we really kind of try to approach it that we want to be just like that first game, you're not going to have every single thing in. I think any young coaches that are listening, you know, really want to try to have had that first game. What I always like to try to do is 
figure out how many practices we have and put it on the calendar if it's nine or if it's 12 or if it's 14 whatever it is and the different things that you do have to have in like you do have to have at least your transition break what you want to do when you get the ball and get out and go and i think that to us offensively is probably as our most important thing our most important goal was to run the transition break and then to have your defense at least what you want to try to go with that first first game whether it be your full court whether it be your half court whether it be man-to-man or whether it be zone but it's not going to be all of them but it's going to be what you feel comfortable with and something that you can have confidence going in that you can be successful with and maybe an out-of-bounds player or two from underneath and an out-of-bounds player or two from the side um, that's another one of our philosophies is that we don't run a whole lot of sets we really want kids to be able to just get out and play basketball and be able to read and uh, be able to set screens and be able to either roll or flare, but play basketball. But we do want to have a set when we're underneath the basket, and we want to have a set from out of bounds on the side, because that's the one time where you can really set your players where you want them to be. Yeah. And uh, and it's the one time where you can work on that to where if you want your shooter to be the one taking it out of bounds or if you want your shooter coming off of a double screen, that's the one time where you can run a little bit of a set. But again, you're not going to have all of them in, but maybe one or two that you can feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's been times when we went into that first game maybe not even having a real true delay game yet. Yeah. Um, maybe not a real true press breaker, but something we felt comfortable with we could at least get the ball up the court if the team was pressing us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you have to have those things in place uh, for that first game. And then know that it's not going to be all of it, but then maybe have, uh, and I think even like with the boredom stuff too, that, that sometimes if you have it all in right away and you're just continuing to try to polish that as opposed to putting in something more, something yep. new later on in the season, I think is important. Yeah. Um, but we'll want to try to have a quite a bit in by, by time we go to the holiday tournament over the Christmas break. And then uh, right after that is going to be the hat tournament, which is really, really important for us. And then, uh, and then it, it goes pretty quick after that. Yeah, it does. Coming down the stretch. Yep. One thing I started doing my last few years is I would, I would take a, two or three blank pieces of paper, and that I would draw out the entire calendar. You know, first day of practice. Let's say it's November twelfth, all the way to the state November tournament. November eighteenth. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I would start from the end from the state tournament. And, and I would, you know, fill in like games and, you know, your, your moratoriums and that type of stuff. But I would work my way backwards from that and say, what do I want to have in by the time we get to the state tournament? And I would fill all this stuff out in pencil. And then I would erase about half of it because I knew we were really only going to get about half of what I really wanted to get in. And that really started to help me when I kind of took a look at it from that big picture and working my way backwards from the end of the season to the front of the season. Um, and just to give you that perspective of, you know, um, our first three games, we're probably not going to play a team that's going to press. So getting a press break in, in the first week and a half, not nearly as urgent. And that came with experience and knowing the teams that you're going to play and having that background and so forth and so on. But, but that was one thing that I did, uh, is like I said, kind of work your way, uh, backwards from that point and you know there's there's different ways to handle it and I, and I agree with you that 
you know, you're not going to get everything in by that first game. You, you got to have a plan to sprinkle it in and keep it fresh as the season goes along as well. So, right. And, and when we talked about the, uh, your, your clientele, the different players that you have, I think that plays a big part in it also. Cause there's times where we had three really good guards and we very seldom spent any time on our press breaker, even yeah. late in the season, just because we knew that with three good guards, Teams weren't going to press us, and if yeah. they did, yeah. it was going to hurt them at the other end. And yeah. then there was times where we really struggled. I can remember playing uh, Sioux Falls Roosevelt up at the Sioux Falls Arena, and and I went at halftime asking how many what position they play, and uh, got to eight different ones that said guard. And then I said, "Then why are we having our host have to try to <laughs> bring this up against the press?" And uh, but it was a deal where. We did have some guards that weren't quite as confident at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think we spent a lot more time that year on our press break, and and so I think different teams have to kind of take a look at their clientele that way and see what we have, and, and the same thing we talked about with whether or not you can full court press or not. I think it's the same thing whether or not you can break the press, and if you if you don't have real real good ball handlers, you you've got to work on it probably a lot more than a team that maybe does have the three yards. And the same thing with the side out. I can remember different times where plays seemed to work really, really smooth, but all of a sudden if you had a guard and you got it on the right side and you had to get to the left side of the court and they struggled with their left hand, mm-hmm. you might as well scrap that play. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to get there. And yep. um, you're going to get frustrated as a coach and it's setting them up for failure. Yep. Yep. Um, what drew you to administration? Because you you taught biology, right? Yeah, I taught biology and health, and uh, and it actually was a deal where the administration talked to me about about being the uh, activity director back in the day, and and I was at all the different sports. I always really tried to push all the sports, coach football, basketball, track, and baseball in the summer, and uh, so I really did enjoy sports, and and it really was I had had an administrative degree. And uh, and so it probably was pretty good advice, and I, I really did enjoy it. I did like it. I, I really they continued coaching with it. Uh, not that that was easy, but um, but they did let me. And uh, I remember we, we started out, it was going to be through my first daughter, through 2003. And, uh, and I remember going in at the end of the season thinking that that was it for coaching-wise. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and then went and talked to the superintendent, assistant soup, and and they told me uh, if if I didn't want to step down, I didn't have to. And uh, I tell you that it took a lot of pressure off me because I really didn't want to give up yeah. coaching. Yeah. And so stayed in it for about ten more years. So it was it was fun. When did you know it was time to walk away? Well, I knew that I was going to be uh, retiring, and. Uh, and uh, when I reached 55, and so those last couple of years, when I was, uh, I was really trying to. I didn't know what I was going to do, and 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 so I wanted to see at that time if uh, if I really did enjoy just administration because administration and coaching, it's 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 tough to do to do both. I can see why a lot of schools do not allow it, and um, and uh, it, it is a lot of a lot of pressure both ways. Um, what what do you mean by that? You know, just well, just that every time. I mean, you're 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 evaluating the coaches, and uh, and so it's a deal where and there's a lot of 
lot of time a lot, with coaches teaching and coaching. We spend a lot of time, uh, and then all of a sudden with administration, there's even even more time than than there is with teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so not only the time, but I think probably the biggest part is is with coaches. You're trying to sometimes tell them to do some things that maybe you're not doing now because you're at a different level in your program and uh, they're maybe starting out or, or vice versa. Uh, so those things are, are, are kind of difficult. That um, I really wanted those last two years to see if I was going to go continue administration or continue coaching mm-hmm. and get back into some place uh, to coach. And, and I really found out that it was a it was a deal where I I enjoyed administration, but it wasn't like I I needed to to do that. It wasn't a passion. A yeah, it wasn't something that I needed to do anymore. And uh, the coaching, while I really really missed it, I was comfortable with South Sioux, and at the time, really wasn't looking to go over to coach at Sioux City East or Sioux City North or someplace one of the rivals. Yeah. And uh, and then that economic development job opened up, and it was a, a really good opportunity. It was it was right there. It was the the mayor was a good friend of mine, the city administrator. I mean, a lot of the guys on the community development agency were kids that I had uh, coached their daughters. It was just a good fit, mm-hmm. and uh, really did enjoy that uh, working. I, I still got to do a lot of stuff with the school. I got to go back and speak with the seniors about jobs. I got to go talk to the freshmen. I even got to go talk to the fifth grade each year about potential jobs that are going to be there for them when they get up. And um, that's about that's 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 right in your wheelhouse, fifth graders, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah it really was. It was really. A, <laughs> <laughs> it was really. A Finally, hard, somebody yeah. could speak to on my level. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but I really did enjoy that, and, and actually uh, had an interview with uh, Greater Omaha and Dodge County on an economic development move after five years with, with the South Sioux City Economic Development. And that's when I really started looking at the Fremont area. Uh-huh. Really, the kids were excited because we were getting closer to them, and, and uh, my wife and I really liked the area. But I got cold feet about moving to do another economic development job. Uh-huh. And then when this uh, basketball job opened up, I said, if I was going to move, I wanted to get back into coaching. and Because uh, I never did really leave it. I mean, I still went to all of their games. I still went to a lot of even uh, other games, the the college games, and still yeah. watched the game of basketball. Still talked to the coaches of fraternity, and uh, knew that someday I would get back in. Did and, you Did you know that that, that was yeah, going to be one? I, you know, did Did you know at some point you know you were going to need to scratch the edge? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, if, if you remember when I did get out, it said taking a break from coaching. Yep, and and I really did know that. Someday I would get back in. I didn't know if it'd be the next year, it'd be five years, and and I'm just glad that it worked out the way it did because it's uh, still got the the burn and uh, still excited about being in a hot gym tonight for an open gym, mm-hmm. and uh, still enjoy getting to talk to college coaches. I got to sit and talk to the Colorado State coach tonight at open gym, and, and just got off the phone right before you called with another coach and. And uh, so it's really exciting. It really is. Good, good. So one more South Sioux question, and then we're going to move on to some other things. Okay. So I want you to put on your thinking hat, your fifth grade speaker thinking hat here. 
The aliens have invaded. This is a Bill Simmons question. I don't know if you know who Bill Simmons is. Um, the aliens have invaded, and the fate of the Earth relies on the South Sioux City girls playing a team of aliens in one basketball game, and you've got to put together a starting five. Who are you going to ride with? Okay, well, um, first of all, I know we didn't cover any questions that we'd have, um, <laughs> but that that is one of the things that uh, the reporters over the years kind of always knew that I probably wouldn't signal anybody out, okay. um, even though it'd be fun, but partly... The uh, I always enjoyed it when they would kind of uh, name different ones that they thought, and okay. I'd always say, "Yep, I think I can see where you'd think that." Okay. But I've always been uh, careful, especially having daughters in, involved, and sure. um, and just different ones. And I think it's, a lot of it too is just that it makes it really, really tough because it, quite a few uh, Miss Basketball Gatorade players, and a lot of times you, you name them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I usually when I do name drop, I usually throw out a Katie Robinette just because she was an All American, and so that's a a pretty easy one to throw out. You already mentioned uh, Nicole Oliver, who went on to the University of Houston and played for Joe Curl. Um, she's you know, I, I like, she's one of those uh, forgotten great athletes. I mean, she was <laughs> so explosive, so athletic. Holy cow! Uh, yeah, and. And so, I mean, it is it is fun to, to think of uh, different ones like that. Um, okay. Well, I'll let you I'll let you set that up with your grandson on like a like a Xbox game, and we'll we'll simulate it or whatever. And and uh, you know, you you could you could let me know off air how it ended up. How about that? So. <laughs> so. And then I think sometimes too, it it depends on with kids, you know where where they're at I mean and so many times people get caught up in in statistics and stuff and uh, and wanting to to score and we've told different players and we've had them over the years where they maybe scored more points maybe even their freshman year or sophomore year than they did their junior and senior year even though they were a lot better players as junior and seniors but we had other players to support them mm-hmm. and other players to go around. And yep. as we mentioned, the Nicole Oliver, um, her freshman year was our go-to post player, but yep. right behind her came Katie Robinette. Yep. And uh, so obviously the scoring was going to get distributed a little bit differently. Yep. And, and you know, and I, I convinced my own daughter with that, uh, you know, when all of a sudden we had uh, an Andrea Shep coming up with her and Amanda Wilcher. You know, you just had yep. different players um that would step into that would take some of that scoring and 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 especially if they're good passers now all of a sudden they become a a, a more rounded player but their statistics might not be quite as high as far as the scoring goes and yeah i mean that's that's something that i will try to convince players this year that we don't all need to score every single game but we do need to get it to the hot hand and uh and, and I know Taylor McCabe is one that a lot of players or coaches are watching, and she's a returning All-Stater and averages 18, 19 points. And depending on how the rest of the team comes around, it, I mean, she could have another year where she has a, a great, great year, but maybe doesn't score that much. Yep. Uh, and she's going to always score points. But, I mean, it might not necessarily have to be 
19 again um, because she's becoming even, she's a great pastor also and does a lot of good things. And so that's, I think, something that I into the, uh, the, the really buy into the, what's best for the team and, and yep. get, get the ball to the, <laughs> the girl that is hot and, and is scoring. Yep. What are, you know, I, I think with every team, um, you know, whether you're really, really good or average or, you know, just the, the, uh, the chemistry and getting the chemistry right within the team and, you know, Kelly, you, you've been so fortunate over the years to coach so many really, really great players. Uh, a lot of players who, if they, you know, if, if if we were talking of it in NBA terms, you know, if they had their own team, they would score a lot more points. But it always seemed to me, from the outside looking in, that your kids, by and large, were just always only concerned about how South Sioux City does you know it was never really about you know well yeah we won but i'm moping because i only got to play uh-huh. this long or that type of thing you know what are some things that you guys did to to help create that type of culture and and environment um within within the program and, and what you're trying to to do there now at fremont well i think it really is a deal where it's uh the buy-in and then i really think it's a deal where the uh really preaching the team the team concept and we always really preach the team uh the team before i and uh and just anything we we get an opportunity to to talk about the team and and the unselfishness of of the team and that if the team does win and and you're disappointed as an individual you know that's that's kind of a selfish move and uh we kind of try to approach that right off the bat and and we always have had a really good buy-in with that and, and that it isn't just scoring. There's so many other parts of the game with the, with the rebounding and the assists and the, and the, the defense. And I'll use uh, Macy Bryant as an example. I mean, she's, she's a, a player that uh, I think is a great athlete and we worked the ball into her and like last year, very, very so unselfish to a, to a point where, a lot of times we get the ball worked into her and she'd kick it back out. And we've got her convinced now that when we're working the ball into you, we do want you to at least take a look at the basket and, and possibly one, try to score, two, try to get fouled. And uh, and then that outside shot is going to still be open because she's yeah. a good passer and can still kick it out. But, but I think sometimes there's players where you have to try to talk them into trying to score and uh, some others that, that hey, scoring is great, but, but you can also – be a great passer. Yeah. I would I would always tell my post players, you know, we get it down to if, if you've got the ball down in that scoring zone, three things are gonna happen. You're gonna miss it, you're gonna make it, or you're gonna get fouled. And I teach history, but I can figure this math out that two of those three things are good for us. So and the one bad, and the one bad one that you mentioned, the miss it a lot of times, as a post player, they get their own rebound. They can see that it's either too long or too short, mm-hmm. and the the uh, defender doesn't always see that, and you know, I say that a lot of times. That if you're going into the basket, you can feel it as you go up to shoot, whether or not that's a good deal or yeah. that's going off to the left, and 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 so often, and, and it's frustrating when you give up an offensive rebound, and a lot of times then they do foul, yep. and so that's kind of we're trying to convince anybody that we get into that post right now, and 
and we really want to try to play where we don't really have true pole. I mean, we're, we're trying to get all of our kids, and I think that was the same thing we did at South Sioux, and we're doing it here, trying to do that at Fremont, where every post player can also dribble, and every guard can also go down and post up, because a lot of times they are going down into post to set a screen, and when the girl comes out, boom, we have them turn and, and, and post up for a second, and a lot of times those guards, they're not used to playing post defense down there, yep. and and now all of a sudden you're getting the ball instead of 15 feet from the basket, it's maybe four or five feet from the basket. Yeah, you can still shoot, you can still drive, but that comfort zone of doing that and the repetition of it. Mm-hmm. That is that is an underrated weapon. Um, I'm sure you remember uh, Maggie Smith uh, that played uh-huh. for me. You know, especially her senior year, we had her full time on the wing, and and but she could really post kids up and. And we had two or three pet sets that that we ran for her, and and she could just cause havoc on the block there. Especially she could really get going and scoring down there, and and uh, you know. How about Katie Smith? Katie, uh, yeah. Katie, Katie was just uh, she was going to the rim. She was going to the rim, and she was much more of a face up kid. You know, Maggie was always a little bit more comfortable uh, with her back to the basket, even though. Uh, she, you know, she was a little bit thicker, a little bit stronger than Katie. Katie was more, you know, explosive athlete and, uh, you know, looked to beat people off the bounce a, right. a little I, bit more remember, like that. I so. remember us having to try to come up with some, we, we were never really big into gimmick defenses, but, but sometimes when you have a player like Katie Smith, you, you did have to try to do some things special to, to try to stop them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know. Kate's still the all-time leading scorer in school history, and and uh, you know, uh, great great kid, mom of yeah. mom of two or three now. I can't remember for sure, but well, hey, we're gonna we're, we're gonna pivot a little bit here, Kelly. Um, we've got the the Don Meyer quote of the day. One of the things I want to feature on the pod is to recognize uh, my personal coaching hero, Don Meyer. Um, and so we're gonna have every pod have a a Don Meyer quote of the day, and here is today's. Don Meyer quote, we can't stop every shot, but we can stop every good shot. And I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good thing to think of or, or pretty good philosophy to have defensively, in my opinion, anyway. So that was our Don Meyer quote of the day. So um, let's get into some, uh, some X's and O's and, and some philosophy. Uh, your, your pressure defense, what are, what are some things, you, you talked about the youth program and getting the kids to extend out. Uh, what are some things that you do in practice uh, to to get your kids to be able to uh, get out and, and attack the ball as well as they do uh, in the full court, in the three-quarter court, the different things that you guys do? Well, I think, again, I hate to keep talking about uh, the feeder program, but I think so much of it does uh, go back to that style that they're used to playing. And uh, I did find that out a little bit this year is because a lot of times with defense, it's, it's so instinctive. And, and that if, uh, if I'm guarding somebody and forcing them to my left and, and somebody comes up to trap, whoever leaves to go trap, we, we assume that that's probably who they're going to maybe throw the ball to. And so that we do need to start cheating over when we, you know, and it's such a team, team aspect. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we can get caught up in, in, uh, with man to man that I, I'm not going to let my player score or, but 
if we can get them to buy into the team aspect and not be afraid to leave my player a little bit, especially if somebody else is going to trap, they're probably going to throw up to that player. Mm-hmm. And uh, almost a cat and mouse type deal. That I'm not going to run over there and deny that player because now they're going to throw up to mine. Uh-huh. But if I can get about in the middle and start anticipating, and we, we use that word a lot, uh, anticipate. We use basketball savvy. Start to understand the game. Um, and and it's hard to sometimes coach that. It's more instinctive. But I think the more you do it, I, I'm already noticing that with with our players this year. I think you're going to see a better defense out of us um, having played it for a year and, and starting to to feel the, the comfort of uh, taking chances. Because I think a lot of times in order to create turnovers, you do have to take some chances. And just like we talked about with the transition game, by getting out and running, you are going to turn it over a little bit more, but you're going to have a lot more opportunities and you're going to score a lot more. I think it's the same way with defense. If we take some chances, yes, we might get beat once in a while, but we're going to beat them many, many more times. Mm-hmm. And, and getting that mindset that, that I, I can take a chance here and if you want to call it gamble, gamble, but but good good decisions and good choices. I'm not going to just totally leave and, and overrun the throw, but I'm going to try to get a hand, get that outside hand, get a tip, and I might not get the steal, but if I can just get a tip, one of my teammates might get it. Uh, we talked about that a lot tonight with rebounding, about just when you see a shot go up, Instead of standing out there by the three-point line, because that's where you're at, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of rebounds. But if you can just gravitate towards the lane, at least, good things are going to happen. And if you can get underneath the basket, you're probably going to get several rebounds. Uh, It's kind of the same thing with that defensive philosophy. If I can start to gravitate to where the ball's at, and if I'm playing defense on on the player, if I can give my teammates... An idea, and like right now, I'm standing up in my <laughs> in the room here and start to shift my butt around. Don't hurt yourself. Like I'm, like I'm defending somebody, but if we can start letting them know that, hey, I'm forcing them to their left, and now everybody can start moving over a little bit. They're maybe not going to totally overplay on the left, but they're going to start knowing that that's where the ball handler is going. That's probably where that next pass is going to go. We're going to give up the the long pass on the backside and cheat over a little bit to, to create that trap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do you guys, uh, you know, do you do some disadvantage drills? Do you do some, you know, like five on four, four on three, you know, or, or yes. you know, you know, I'm sorry, you know, it should be the other way around four offense against five defense, you know, yes. that type of stuff, to, you know, we, we set up all kinds of those type of scenarios, the three defenders against two. So that, yeah, so that they do have some success on that. So they're not just getting beat offensively, but that they do get to have some success. Uh, sometimes as a coach, we'll walk up where we can be a safety valve. They can throw it back to us. So we're like a third player, but the three defensive players are hounding those two where two of them are trapping the other ones anticipating. And um, I think uh, coach coach really kind of uh, sold me on that because when I first started out, I did an awful lot of just offensive stuff because you really do as a coach, you know that, this is going to make that's what's going to make you look better, uh, make you feel more comfortable. That hey, we're we feel good about the offense. But uh, we were spending way more time on offense than we were defense, and um, we shifted that to where we started spending 
almost as much time defensively. And anytime we did shooting drills, we had uh, defensive drills as well going on in the middle of the court. And we'd have some offensive stuff going on the outside, some shooting stuff, but we'd always have defensive stuff going on, going as well. And then with our scrimmages, we'd always have one coach really emphasizing the defense and one emphasizing the offense. And I think that that really started, started helping us. And, and you remember with those games back in the day, the defense did create a lot of our offense with the, uh, with the, either the full court or even the half court with the with the sting where it was a continuous trap. Mm-hmm. And again, to try to get kids in that mindset that wherever the ball's at, there's two people trapping it. Um, but they've got to, again, buy into it because you've really got to work hard. But it's a deal where we try to convince them that we're only going to be on defense for about 10 seconds, if, if, if that. Because one, they're either going to score, or two, we're going to get a steal and go on the other way. And hopefully, more often, we're going to get the steal and go on the other way. But it really is get down and getting after defensively so that you can create those steals. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys keep track of tips. We have. We didn't last year keep track of tips, but we always keep track of steals, and then we try to keep track of who forced that steal. And again, that's a difficult one, but uh, it's kind of like the uh, the scoring and the assists and and, in, and even like with the assists, that's one of the things that, because I can make a pass to you and and it leads directly to a basket, but maybe you end up taking three or four dribbles and, and some people then that's not an assist. Um, it's a deal where I think the same thing can be with, with steals. So we would always try to point that out, but it wasn't always a statistic. But that uh, so-and-so forced quite a few of those and forced quite a few turnovers. I think you can talk about it more as forcing turnovers than than forcing a steal. But uh, mm-hmm. obviously the person that ends up getting the ball gets credit for the steal. But, but we did try to give credit to the one that maybe made the tip or, or caused it. Do you guys, do you guys spend uh... – a lot of time showing the uh, showing film to the kids of you know to reinforce that um, hey Becky I know you didn't get credit for this on the stat sheet for 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 the steal but look at how Becky did this to, to create the steal for Mary so that Susie could eventually get the layup I mean is that some stuff you do so, as well well so I think uh, again w- with this podcast it's it's tough because you know you're looking at 25 plus years at one school and then one year now at another. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question on the, on the video, I, I do think that it's important. Uh, we did used to get the group together to watch, uh, this last year we didn't. And, uh, part of that with huddle now is a great, great thing. Kids have access to it. And I assumed that a lot of times they would be watching it. I'd watch it. And I know our assistant coaches watch it. Um, we are planning on this year to watch more of it as a team to be mm-hmm. able to point out some of those things. And we just got the uh, huddle assist and we got the huddle camera that's set up in our gym. And okay. I'm going to try to use it this year, even for some of our practices, because the thing you run into sometimes with a, with a game film is you're watching it and you might have 12, 13, 14 players in there, but there's five on there that are playing at the time, unless you're really rotating. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, once you get into the season, time becomes a, a big, big factor. Yeah. Whether you want to spend time with the film, whether you want to spend time with weightlifting, you know, all the different things are important, but you have 
so much time, just a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so I think as a coach, you really have to decide um, how important this is, how important that is. But uh, we will spend uh, more time this year with some some video footage and partly to, to just be able to show like if somebody's getting beat down the sideline, like last time, a lot of, last year, a lot of times with our sting press, if 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 you remember, if you don't get that first initial trap, it's not quite as effective. If yeah. they come up and they beat you off the dribble, now you're scrambling. Mm-hmm. But if you can get that initial trap, you're a lot lot more effective. Now yeah. they're playing into your hands, and uh, we got beat off the dribble several times, and so I I look back. I think as a coach, we're always looking back and, and thinking we could have done this, could have done that, could have done this better. And that's one thing that I do look back at that I wish I would have showed that right off the bat instead of saying, well, maybe we, we can't we yeah. can't maybe run that press. Well, yeah. we maybe could have had we showed them and, and, and beat them to those spots. And, and the kids are so used to, I mean, much more so today than even five years ago uh, with the YouTube and, and the social media they're used to watching things and learning things in that medium in those short, quick bursts. And it has to be short, quick bursts, um, you know, because that's just the way that their, their brains are wired now. Um, but with those advantages, you know, that does give you the opportunity to, to do that. And I think more so now than 10, 15 years ago, kids can look at that clip and go, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying, because that's yeah. the way their minds have evolved well, since yeah, since well, and you back, know and back in the day when you and i were coaching against each other it was a deal where i mean it, you brought the three the, the tripod and the camera and, <laughs> and then and then when the game was over you brought the tape home and i can remember us going back to one of our houses and putting in the vcr yep and and watching it and then hey can i use the tape because we didn't get to see the end of it and you know we're now as assistants we and head coach we we all had it We'd get home and and sometimes even watching it on the on the bus on the bus ride home, yeah. Because you had it uh, immediately with the huddle and and so that is going to be a valuable tool and it's something that I think we used as coaches and I hope the players did uh, use it a little bit themselves. But we're going to use it more as a team this year. I'm going to make sure that we we devote some time to that, especially early in the season. Mm -hmm. One of the things that your kids have always done a nice job of, and you kind of refer to it, uh, your, your skill development with your kids has always been at a, at a, at a real nice level. And you've always had versatile offensive players. Like you said, you know, you, you want your big kids to be able to, to go off the bounce. Some you want your, your perimeter kids to be able to post up some and do, you know, traditional post type of things. Uh, what are, you know, what are two or three uh, pet drills that you guys that you like to do in practice to really help your kids uh, play the game in, in such a uh, just a nice offensive flow that your teams normally have. Well, again, I think it has to play off a little bit off of your philosophy. Like we always try to beat teams down the floor. So, like with our post player, probably the first move that I always really like to have them develop is just a baseline drop step mm-hmm. and. Uh, and we try to convince them that if you can beat kids, beat players down the court and you get the ball and you're there for them, it's just a direct baseline drop to the basket. And uh, guess, guess what, guess what I, guess what I yelled at my post players for three days before we would play your guys when it came to post defense, what we were going to take away. <laughs> to get on the baseline side. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
and I heard it from a coach at one time and it made sense, but on that baseline drop is to try not to let the ball go any higher than the knee, which is hard to talk about on the radio, but yep. to demonstrate it, it's just a real hard power move and mm-hmm. it's just a power dribble and it's basically just to get you to cover some ground towards the basket. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always use the philosophy if they're low, like what you guys would be getting below us, try to take them lower. And so that then when you go to square up on the inside, you've got more room. And if they're high, take them higher. So that now when I do beat them to the basket, I've, 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 I've got them higher than, than, than they normally are. I'm just, as a post player, making contact and taking them higher. But I think uh, sometimes we can give them too many moves, but we always want to try to get them a baseline drop. And then we want to try to get one counter move to the inside. Mm-hmm. And then as they start to develop, we like to try to set up the one where it looks like you're going to the inside, but you're just setting the player up. And it's just a, again, it's a drop step. But mm-hmm. you're taking one hard dribble to the inside of the lane, putting the ball right between your legs, where it's just to, basically just so you're not traveling, but you're just getting your footwork. So now I can square up to the back, to the baseline and, and finish. Just and up, so, like an up and under type of yep. type of deal. And yeah. so it's two two moves and then a counter move with our post players that we would at least try to and, and the same thing with our guards. As we come down and set that screen, we want to try to open up, show our number. Uh, because we always think so many times a post player will kind of turn sideways and feel like they're getting big. We say getting big is getting our butt low, our knees bent, and squaring up to the uh, to the passer. Mm-hmm and trying to get the ball in the lane. And then once you get it, to feel comfortable going either way. And so that's why we do a lot of post drill with all of our players. We'll just do continuous post drills and so that they feel comfortable going baseline, that they feel comfortable going with a square up, with they go with a counter move. And then the same thing with the entry pass. So many times it's frustrating when you see the post wide open, got them on their back, but the person is either faking, 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 trying to go across, trying to fake. We want to try to just go with a quick fake low and go high or a quick fake high and go low um, and just make that pass into the post as quick as we can when they're open. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, anything else that, you, you know, just kind of the, you know, as you're, as you're taking those individual looks and piecing it together into, to a sum whole, you know, um, what are some other things that you do to, to get that movement to, you know, cause you guys, you guys just do such a nice job of, you know, going from side to side so quickly um, well, I, with it. I think the other thing is that uh, like the other, again, moves that we, so like when we run the floor, we really try to, again, beat them down the floor and kick the ball up. And so we call what we call a baseline swoop. And again, we always talk about with layups. It's not always just a nice angle to the basket. We try to go through layups. We do layups almost every single day in our drills. And uh, it's not just a layup drill, but it might be right side, left side. It might be reverse layups. It might be a spin move. Um, but we always put in baseline swoops also, which which basically we're throwing the ball to the person. It's almost like a lead pass to the baseline, but it's like the lane opened up or like the post player was taking them a little bit higher. And so it's almost like a built-in screen with the post. And so it's just a quick little baseline swoop. And uh, again, I'm in the basement here trying to uh, almost demonstrate it on the phone and in this podcast. But keeping your shoulders parallel to the to the baseline and so that you're keeping the ball out in front of you so that they can't block it. It's not just a typical layup, but it's a baseline swoop. 
and then uh, we do the different thing with the power moves, and we're going to do a little bit more of that. Because I think a lot of times kids will rush a layup just thinking, hey, it's a close shot. We always say we don't want just close shots. We want finished shots. So if we do get a chance to shoot a layup, we really want to focus on the finish. And if it is not a finish, that at least I can get my own rebound, gather, and go back up with it. So a lot of a lot of post moves, a lot of layups. I think a lot of times kids want to come into the gym and just start launching threes and just shoot from the outside. And we want to try to get them convinced that we want to get high percentage shots. And most of those are going to be hard drives to the hoop, post moves, uh-huh. and then and then obviously the, the stuff the that comes off of that. Yeah, because we have some now that are working on uh, on. The step back, which I used to not be a big believer in. I thought if you had to do a step back, um, that you probably didn't have to take that shot. But uh, Taylor McCabe, and we've got a few others now that are starting to shoot that pretty well, uh, that I, I'm thinking that that's not a, a bad shot, as long as they want to work on it. If it's a, a Sarah Shepard, uh, if they're, they're willing to come in there and really work on that, um, and, and I, I use the example like a Michael Jordan back in the day when he used to shoot that fadeaway. Yeah. Or really dating ourselves the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the sky hook. You know, those aren't the best shots, but if you're willing to work on it like they did and put as much time in, then the step back, the euro step, a lot of those could be some great, great moves. Yeah. Hey, just a, just a quick thing here. Um, I just want you to know that if you keep demonstrating in your basement and you get hurt, the a pen and a napkin insurance coverage is not liable for that. And I know how old you are. I, I know how old you are. And it's a, it's a likely possibility that I could hear an ambulance pulling in here in a little bit. So I'm just, well, I, I, I want I that down on record. If you are going to come into the gym or if you're going to go out in your driveway, if you're going to play, you know, strap on the shoes and be ready to get after it. And uh, I'm not uh, practicing what I preach because I'm sitting here. I do have Nike socks on, but I've got my flip-flops on. And so I'm not doing a real good demonstration, even though I'm just talking on the phone. Oh, that's, that's even more liability. Jeez. Why don't you just run with scissors while you're at it? Hey, we do have a basketball hoop up down here, though, and we've got several basketballs laying around. So it, it does give the atmosphere of, of a basketball and you, a you you can be honest. You're, you're posting up your six year old grandson and taking him to the rim, aren't you? <laughs> I will right when we get off the phone. <laughs> and I do love I do love the name that you've got though that you've come up with the pen and the napkin. And you I, like that? I thought I, and I thought I was going to be smarter tonight when we were talking because I was planning. I was all set to go to the Metro Coaches Clinic last night with. Uh, McCaffrey speaking, but uh, it got postponed. I know. But, uh, but a lot of times at those coaches' clinics, we've always said as coaches that when you get off the side with a couple different coaches and you do get the napkin out and you do start showing a side out of bounds or you do start showing a, a defensive trap or whatever it is that you're talking about, you know, you really do get to answer and, and ask some of your own questions that you really, really are interested in. Uh-huh. Uh, not taking anything away from a coach's clinic because those are great. And I always take a ton of notes. And, and But there's just so many things you can do. But uh, a lot of times it is a deal where you really do have a, a question, hey, how do you do this? And, and to see how somebody else attacks it or how they do it is, 
it's pretty cool. And and I know I've got a lot of different napkins around with uh, different plays. So I like that name that you came up with. Well, yeah, thanks. You know, I, I think it's, you know, in, in the 18, 19 months that it's been that I've been out, um, you know, I've been looking for, you know, just, you know, it, it, I, I'm sure you went through the same thing. Just because you weren't coaching doesn't mean you weren't still looking to grow your mind in the game. And, and, and that, you know, that attitude, you, you just don't drop that, you know? And as I looked, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great stuff and there's a lot of great stuff on Twitter and, and, and YouTube. And you, of course you got the championship productions, all that stuff. But most of that is geared towards situations where the skill level or the commitment level is a lot better or a lot higher than the average high school coaching situation. And so it's kind of hard to uh, bring that into your own gym sometimes, a lot of the time. Uh, there's little pieces of it, you know, and and so one of the things that, that I have been looking for uh, is how can high school coaches, what are things that high school coaches can do? And... And that's kind of the, the crux of this is, you know, like last night, you know, Fran McCaffrey, I'm sure he would have been great. I'm sure he would have brought in a bunch of really good things. And I was excited to see him, uh, there as well. Um, but how much of that would you have been able to take with the Fremont Tigers? I mean, I don't know. I mean, we won't know because we weren't there. Um, uh, you know, but that's kind of, that's kind of my thing is, you know, what can you give us? And and you and I have had these conversations how many times over the years, you know, but I think it's good that we can bring this to, to other coaches and, and have them hear these conversations and pick our brains uh, in the same way that we would like to. And, and that's nothing against like a Fran McCaffrey. He's just teaching right. what he knows and right. what he does um, because that's the level he's accustomed to. Well, here's the level we're accustomed to, and and those are the people I want to try and help out. You know, right? And and I think as high school coaches, I think you know most of us that have have coached a while have our own philosophy and have quite a few of the things that that we we want. And uh, and I think when we do go to a coach's clinic or go listen to somebody or do the pen and the napkin, it it, it is a deal where. I always say when I go to a coach's clinic, I'm not going to change everything and I'm not going to put in everything that I hear. But mm-hmm. I do want to try to, even if I do get one really good quote or if I do get one really good offensive out-of-bounds play or or a lot of times even it's just a drill and we maybe have done the same drill, but there's a little twist to it. Yep. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it maybe can all of a sudden be a, a, a transition drill as well as an offensive drill. But hey, if we don't score, it's a transition one the other way. And, and gosh, I never even thought of that, you know. Yeah. And so sometimes I'll I'll see that from a coach that they might be doing. Say, I just use a dumb example with a figure eight, and you just run the figure eight down the court. But now all of a sudden they do the two on one coming back, you know. And they, mm-hmm. I know that's just a some one that somebody everybody does. But all of a sudden, gosh, I never thought of that that we could turn that into a a double transition now. And I think as coaches, I think we got to have a, when we have a philosophy, like ours is the transition game that I think we have to try to set up as many drills as we can so that it just becomes second nature. So like all of our, 
drills that we run, we really try to keep that in mind. So yeah. we'll run a down the down the middle passing where it's just throwing them. If, if the kid's out in front, you're just heaving the ball down. So we're we're running transition drills where we're throwing the ball down the court. You've got to sprint after it, score layup, and 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 you're following it. So you're not just throwing the ball and then going to the back of the line. You're throwing the ball, but now I'm sprinting the court, chasing the ball. When I get to the free throw line, I'm turning and sprinting the other way, and the person's taking it out of the basket and chucking it down the other end, and now sprinting down. So it's just a continuous throw the long pass, sprint after it. Yep. And and we do a lot of full court, like full corners. Like everybody does a full corner, four corner passing on the half court. We stretched it out to the full corner, full corner on the full court, where you've got a, oh, that's a, good idea. Base, a baseball pass now. And, and and then a lot of times with drills, not just a pass and then stand in line, but pass and now take off sprinting because that's part of the transition. And then now I'm going to throw the ball across and now I'm going to sprint to that line. And and just get them in that mindset that when we pass and do something, we don't pass and stand. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of times if you can look at – I think then when you go to a coach's clinic, there's a lot of times where I can see a drill that – I'm not going to put that in because maybe that's not our philosophy or, Oh wow, that, that fits right into our philosophy. I am going to put that drill in, uh-huh. uh, even though I never thought of that one or, yep. Hey, that's similar to what we're doing, but there's a little twist there and I'm going to, I'm going to add that little twist because I like that. Yeah. I think sometimes as a coach, if we can just get that, it can help us. I, I think one of the traps that all coaches, especially younger coaches fall into is they see a drill and they think it's a good drill and it probably is but it fits nothing with what they're trying to accomplish overall in their philosophy but they think it's a great drill so they do the drill and I know I was probably guilty of that too and and I know that when I got older I think the number of drills that we did narrowed dramatically but the quality of those drills and the the little variations that we would do off of those uh got a lot better you know i think that's a i think that's a great point and i think that's a great coaching point and i think if anybody's out there listening that if they take anything away from this that that might be the thing to take away because that also is when again when we first started out as as beginning coaches i think sometimes we get caught up in we want to do something new every day. And I think what we got to keep in mind is that we have assistants coming. Like in my case, I've got great assistant coaches now at Fremont, but two of them come from the elementary and, uh, and two of them are real dedicated teachers, high school. And sometimes we're getting together in the gym for the first time there. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you have a new complicated drill every single day, and we found that out back in South Sioux where every night I was looking through my, my, clinic notes, I was looking through different coaching books, coming up with different drills, and sometimes maybe not even having the same philosophy that we have. It's just a new drill. Yeah. And I was kind of trying to explain it to my assistants. They were a little bit confused, and then especially if you're splitting the court and going with the young kids over on the one side, and you're with the varsity, and you're looking over there, oh, that's not the way I really kind of wanted that drill. We're like exactly what you said there. We started limiting the drills. We started doing drills that are fitting our philosophy and we might do the same drill like a Kansas drill we have for instance we might run that every single week and uh and the kids know it. we just say Kansas drill boom they jump into it and the mm-hmm. same thing with that and that's what I'm looking forward to this year because last year was 
knew when I'd say Kansas drill, they maybe didn't know what that drill was. Or if yep. I said koozie layups, yep. even though we had did that for 20 years, it was new to these kids. Yep. But now if I say koozie layups, boom, one goes to the outlet, and one gets ready to do the rebound, and they know exactly what we're going to do. And I think that's the thing that's important for coaches to maybe not have 100 drills, but maybe have 10 or 15 good ones that fit your philosophy and you can still mix it up each week or each day. You don't have to do the same drills every single day, but you can do a couple of the same drills every single week. And yep. they and pretty soon the kids start getting comfortable with it and they get better and better at it and then they get more confident. And uh, and your young coaches are, are doing those same drills. So like now if we get our feeder coaches together, which I want to do this year, I think we can show several different drills that they can take off and do with the same names. And then when the kids come up, because I think that was something that really helped us also. We got to coach at the seventh and eighth grade level in the fall and see those kids. And then when they got to be freshmen, they knew exactly what we were talking about with the different drills. Yep. Three, three more questions. Three more, three more quick things and we're done. All right. Uh, describe uh, if you can and, Again, please don't pull a muscle or get a stress fracture or anything. Uh, what uh, describe your your best out of bounds your best uh, baseline out of bounds play? You know, uh, you're you're down you're down one five seconds left to go. You call a timeout. What are you drawing up? What are you running? Okay, again, talking about over the years because we would have a lot of different ones. We really, really do try to simplify it. And now this year, we will start getting a little bit more um, sophisticated and advanced, especially because we've, we've got some good shooters. Um, but I really try to have the philosophy that I would rather have it simple and executed. And we'd even, we even got to where we'd call things box up, box across, and, and the kids would say, Coach, they know what we're doing. And I'd say, it doesn't matter if they know what we're doing as long as we execute it. If it's a box up and we get a good angle and set a good screen and we use that screen and if they bite through it and we roll back to the basket, you know, there's different things that you can do off of that. And so, again, I think it's something that I like to have simple, but then I like to have counter off of it. Mm -hmm. So... When we, we, we try to run some different out-of-bounds plays, but again, as a coach, I think you have to decide how important it is, how much time I want to spend on it. And uh, and like as a coach, when you do run that now, if you're going to have – we really don't like to have a lot of players stand and, and watch it. We like to be going. We like to be moving. And so when you do break down to do an out-of-bounds play, you've got five in there. You maybe have five on defense. But they're standing. You got to understand it. And so we try not to spend a whole lot of time, but we try to do simple out of bounds plays. But we are going to get a little bit more advanced this year with that. Uh, but I like a, a screen the screener type where, and again, I think uh, uh, it depends on your your personnel. Like when yep. we had Jane Creeper, I mentioned Jane Horker with 6'4, or when we had Katie Robinette at 6-2, or even Tristan Sharp at 6-2. We had some different post ones that you could do, mm -hmm. but if you don't have the, the height, you, you, you can't do some of those. Yep. But you, and if you've got a really, really good shooter, then you want to run some out-of-bounds plays to set up the shooter. Mm -hmm. We try to have a couple different lineups that I like to have is one that's the box, because I think that's a, a good setup. Mm -hmm. 
We also like to have what we call the baseline, where they line up on the baseline, because some teams... Like a four low? Yep, four low. So you've got one out of the far out baseline, and then you get two at the power blocks. But it's just, a, we call it baseline. But it's partly as a coach, just to read what they're going to do. Are they going to go guard those four, or are they going to stay in the lane? Because some teams are coached to run a zone on an out-of-bounds. And mm-hmm. so if they are doing that, then I'm going to put my best shooter right there on the ball side baseline, just get it to her. Mm-hmm. And we always tell them that, that anytime, even if we run to play, if all of a sudden, like for instance, the player that's right on the power block, be ready. Be ready, um, because if they're not guarding you, because sometimes teams' defenses would just get lazy on the out-of-bounds and know that we're playing a zone here now and we're going to stand here. And boom, if I can just get the ball to them right at the power block, like you said, there's three good things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just get them the ball. Just get them the ball and go up with it. But I think a lot of it with an out-of-bounds play is get to your spots quick, whatever it is, whether it be the stack, and you're all four going to stack right in front of the ball, if it's on the free-throw line, and then you're going to break, mm-hmm. or if it's the baseline, or if it's the box, whatever it is, coach them to get to those spots quickly, yell it out, slap the ball, and go. And go. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I really like to have a side out, a couple of different looks from the side, yeah. because a lot of times the ball goes out of bounds on the side, and like we mentioned earlier, that gives you that one opportunity to really get your players exactly where you want. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember, I remember those those sideline ones, and I wasn't going to let you score on those sideline ones because I knew what you were going to do. Well, I remember, uh, ironically. Uh, district championship at Fremont and yeah. you guys were down one and you ran the side out of bounds and oh, I right. trapped the ball right off the bat and I don't even know what happened and still to this day I don't know what happened but the ball went up and it went in we watched it on videotape several times and still couldn't I mean it was like and then well oh. it was like a yeah. mystery or like magic yeah that was uh but, uh that was uh Katie Smith's senior year and and we I'm not. I'm not even sure what we had written up, and and uh, we shot it. We got it down. I, I think Kate Smith got it in the high post, and she went off the bounce and put it up. And then one of the Rasmussen kids got the ball off the off the glass and put it back up and put it back in um, the as the buzzer went off. Yeah, yeah. I still think about that sometimes when I'm at the Fremont Gym now, and there's so many great great memories at the Fremont Gym. Yeah, but. Uh, but that was not one of the greatest ones. But I remember the next night was a uh, was a district boys game, and I I was the AD, so I went back to it there, and I ran into all your players because I think we, Scott might have been playing there again, obviously because your girls were there. But yeah. we ran in, and and, it, and that's the neat thing about sports is because we were able to talk a little bit about it. And uh, I remember saying, uh, "Hey, we're going to see you guys again next week because with the wild card, yep. we got to go to the state tournament the next week." And and a, and we did meet again. And do you want to tell the viewers what happened then? There's no viewers. They can't see the scoreboard. <laughs> if they want to Google it, they can. No, you know what? You know we uh, we knew uh, we knew we were you were you know we needed to get through the first three or four minutes because because uh, the pride that your kids played with and uh, um, we we knew they were going to be pretty pissed off about the way the game had ended the week before and you know and and uh you guys i think you guys jumped on us like 12 to 2 and and we just couldn't you know it was a pretty even game 
Yeah, those but, were all even games. It was yeah. just a fun, fun rivalry. And, yeah. I, and the neat thing about it was back then with the Pinnacle Bank and the uh, the Daubert, the All-Stars in the summer, yep. you know, some of our kids played. I mean, we were talking about Kate Smith a few times here tonight, but I, I remember her and, and some of the different players stayed at our house that summer. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, it was kind of neat that you got to, to see these kids um, getting to, together with some of the best players in the state of Nebraska yeah. all playing together. Well, I got to coach and, a couple of years too. I got to coach Sharp and, and Hohenstein and uh-huh. you got, you coached Mamie that one summer and yeah, yeah you know, so that was, that was, that was a nice part of it. So yeah. And as coaches, I think it helped us too, because we got to, to talk a little bit about the different players and, and, and obviously they were our player for 20, I think 25, 26 games that summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a lot of a lot of fun fun experiences that uh, I don't know if they really have that. I mean, now they have their so much more of the the club stuff, but uh, yeah. I don't think they really have that that all star team like that like we used to have. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a different, you know, because you know Cookie and those guys would get it together, and you'd show up the day before and you'd practice, and and then you'd go play in a tournament, and and it's 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 good that the the kids. Um, have the skill development that they have and they have the, if, if they're playing with, let's say all Nebraska attack, you know, they're practicing once or, tw- you know, probably a couple of times a week in the off season and probably their, their execution and, and they're probably able to do more from the X's and O's standpoint with the club teams than we were able to do with like the pinnacle teams. Um, but, you know, the, the, the downtime for the kids is also a lot less too. And sometimes, you know, just as a dad, I kind of, you know, worry about that or just kind of looking at it like, you know, just, um, you know, and, and like, like we talked about earlier tonight, you know, um, you know, every, every, everybody's, everybody's different and everybody develops at their own pace, you know, you know, so, um, one, one last thing real quick here. Um, you gotta be feeling pretty good about your team this year. Yes, yes, we're very, very excited. Uh, November eighteenth, I mentioned we're going to be getting started, and and we're looking forward to uh, a new schedule because uh, it's the start of the two year rotation. Um, we don't get to play um, Miller North and Miller West, but we do get to play Miller South, and then obviously all the conference, the Hack Conference is a great, great conference. We get to play all the Lincoln schools and mm-hmm. the Grand Island Carney, and and I really do like our schedule. I think it's a, a great schedule. Um, Going to Arizona uh, is a great opportunity for the kids. And uh, you need any help with that? <laughs> you know, and it it, it is a, a little bit uh, stressful just because they're. Oh, all thanks for answering things. that question. I guess I get. I'll take that as a no, but that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> well, I do obviously need help. But, um, <laughs> we could maybe call and, and talk on this podcast again when we're right. down there. All right. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> That sounds good. No, but uh, yeah, it sounds like you got a good schedule set up, and, and you've got a, a a nice, a really nice group of young players, and and uh, you know, it sounds like you kind of kind of got it ready to to take off again. Yeah, we're we're really excited. We've got a we've got a, what I think is a good group. Um, we've got some good leadership, and and we lost some good kids, but uh, I think we've got some great kids coming back, and had a good JV program and freshman program last year. And I think the kids uh, know how to win. And, and, and I feel, I, I think a lot of them, you know, felt like we, 
we didn't accomplish what we really wanted to last year coming up a little bit short of the district final. Um, but, but seeing some teams that we had competed uh, and actually had beat Pius at one time during the year and see them play in the state semifinals and see Miller North win this championship and know when we were right there, I think that can give you some confidence too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know it will going into the season. Awesome. Awesome. Kelly, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Yes, yes. It really was good. I don't know if anybody will, will listen, but uh, it might put some people to sleep. But uh, it was fun. Marty, it's always good talking basketball. I always enjoy that. And uh, thank you for the uh, opportunity. Well, hey, you know, uh, thanks for thanks for going on the uh, maiden voyage with me here tonight. This was <laughs> this was uh, really really awesome stuff. So uh, you know, I'll you know we'll keep in touch. I got to get up for a practice this year. I didn't get a chance to go to one of your practices last year. I got to get up there and and uh, check out one of your practices and and uh, yeah, we'll just uh, yeah, we'll just keep doing that. Welcome. We so. always tell people they're they're welcome to come and watch anytime, and and we try to. I tried to run a, a good a good practice and and I think you enjoy it. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, we're going to end it on that. Uh, Kelly, thanks so much again. We also want to thank Cosac uh, Chiropractic for sponsoring the pod. Uh, again, coaches, if you are in need of any chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at four zero two nine six four zero three zero zero. Again, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, or just at a pen and a napkin. Kelly, you promised me you were going to follow afterwards. Make sure you get that done. Uh, Download, rate, and review uh, the podcast. And again, if you want to get a hold of us via email, uh, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. I want to thank everybody for listening here. Keep working away, and and, and coaches, good luck with everything you do. Kelly, thanks once again, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.